0: Hello, this is It Can't Just Be Me. Every week on this podcast, I, along with a brilliant celebrity guest, take a dilemma sent in by one of you beautiful listeners and share our thoughts and experiences. We're also joined by one of our resident experts who can give their professional opinion and share their expertise with us all. So today, we're talking about something that on first hearing sounds contradictory. Finding joy after loss. Grief can affect us in really surprising ways. Sometimes we just shut down. Sometimes we can barely bring ourselves to think about the person who's gone because it's just too painful. And sometimes we feel guilty for actually kind of being okay and getting on with our lives. So what I want to find out today is, is there a normal when it comes to grief? And how can we open up and allow ourselves to feel that grief while still being able to see the joy in life? Let's find out. This is... It can't just be me. Hi Anna. Hey Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. It can't just be me who's really struggling with staying faithful.
1: I definitely got menopause brain. I really want children, and he doesn't. doesn't. I had feelings of jealousy. It's Just all around the middle, I feel like a Teletubby. And then I hated myself for feeling that way. If you've got any advice, I would really appreciate any advice.
2: It can't just be me. It It can't just be me, right?
0: Now, my guest today is the comedian Sarah Keyworth. Sarah is a regular on TV on Live at the Apollo and Mock the Week. Their stand-up often focuses on the topics of gender and relationships, but they've also explored the topic of grief after losing a close friend. And more specifically, the fact that while it might feel like the world has stopped, it does keep turning. And at some point, we have to find a way to live our own lives too. I want to give you all a quick heads up here because today's episode does touch on the subject of suicide. So please bear that in mind when you're deciding when and how to listen. We'll leave some useful resources in the show notes. Sarah Keyworth, welcome to It Can't Just Be Me. How are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you. It's very nice to be here.
0: It's very nice to have you here. Are you enjoying my plush sofas? I'm
2: loving it. It's very, very plush. In fact, I might take a cushion home with I me. I know, right? You
0: move in whenever you <laughs> like. Now listen, as you know, I'm going to share a listener's dilemma with you shortly. And I know you're going to have a lot to say about it, so I'm looking forward to this one. But before we get into the meat of that, I ask every guest that comes in to bring their own, it can't just be me dilemma. So what have you got for us?
2: Okay, um, so I think I'm slightly worried that you're going to turn around and say, no, that is just you with this one. (laughs) But it can't just be me that is furious when I see a teenager with a good haircut. Really? When I was a teenager, I had terrible hair and I thought that was the done thing. I thought that's how you you had to be. When you're a teenager, you have to be awkward and gawky and look like you have a mop on your head. And I looked like I lived in a swamp till (laughs) I was about 27. Like I saw a girl the other day and she looked like she'd had a full blow dry. Yeah,
0: she probably had. I mean, you know, they look better than we do. And you and I have discussed off, mic that we are actually from the same, exactly the same area. We live in the
2: same area. (laughs) So we've been seeing the same haircut.
0: The same tweens with the same haircuts.
2: Why do they look, why is their hair so good? And it makes me mad because they're not suffering in the ways that I used to suffer. Do you feel rage? I feel rage. I'm furious about it. I'm with you. Listen, it's not just you. I'm furious. I just think think everyone should have the decency to have an awkward teenage phase. And And look like your mum. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I would go to the same salon as my mother. We'd sit in matching gowns. (laughs) (laughs) It would be a two for one deal. (laughs) And, And I dealt with that for five years. Do you know what you could do, though, Sarah?
0: Right, yeah. I reckon this could be a rebellion right here, is that we revert back to having our
2: childhood haircuts and we'll show them. In protest. In protest. I just think the only people that will lose in that situation is you and I, Anna. Okay. Singledom, here we come. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, Sarah, we do actually have a more serious job for you to do today because one of our listeners has reached out to us with a dilemma around grief. And I'm keen to get your take on it because I know that you've spoken publicly about your own experience with loss. I've also invited psychotherapist Louisa Davis in to join us from the London practice. Hello,
1: Hello. great to be here.
0: Thank you for coming in, Louisa. Now, you are an expert on grief management, amongst many other things. And uh, and she's here today to give us some professional advice. So we appreciate that very much indeed. And We uh,
2: really, really do. I know.
0: <laughs> clearly, Sarah and I are going to be bothering you for many hours Just about our own
1: issues. Sorry, if I'm gripping your hand too hard. It's okay. And the, the box of tissue is right here. <laughs> she's already sliding it across to you, Sarah.
0: <laughs> well, shall we hear, it is a serious dilemma, uh, our voice note from Tom, who's looking for some guidance on how to manage
3: loss. Hi Anna, so in the past couple of years I have lost a couple of people that I was very close with. A very close friend of mine who unfortunately took their own life and my godmother who died of cancer. Losing both of them was very difficult individually but I think losing the two of them in quite close succession really took a lot out of me. And I kind of feel like one of the reasons that it's difficult to let go of this stuff is because I feel like they're both taken before their time, just taken too soon, it feels very unfair that they're not alive today. Although most of the time I'm fine, I still have very intense moments of grief that make getting on with my regular life quite difficult. I want to be able to remember all of my positive memories with them, but I find that it's just quite painful. Are there any practical steps or things that I can do when I'm having a moment of serious grief to just kind of get on with my day a little better?
0: Okay. I mean, this is just, it's awful, isn't it? Mm. That And just listening to that as well. I mean, you know, you can sort of hear in his voice that he's still so affected by this. But to lose two people you love in quick succession and one to suicide, which is tragic in itself and still holds, I think, some stigma for some people. What's your initial reaction to this, Sarah?
2: Yeah, it's really, really difficult that because it is the just massive double whammy of losing two people in quick succession. And also there's so many complicated emotions when somebody dies and you feel like it's too soon Because there's there's so much wrapped up in it and there can be feelings of guilt and like you could have done more. Tom has kind of taken the best first step, just, just like talking about it. I find that if I am given permission to talk about it, whenever I feel those intense periods of grief, it's easier to get through the pain and then start remembering the positive sides. this is interesting because i know that you've
0: explored this topic in in your stand-up before Mm. in relation to the loss of your friend paul so i can only imagine that you empathize hugely here but do you want to tell us a little bit about paul he was your friend and what happened and, and how it affected you
2: yeah, so Paul was, he. We, we worked together. So he was a comedy director and he was working on some of my friend's shows and things like that. And I was writing my debut hour, which is a stand-up hour that I took to Edinburgh. And uh, I was kind of struggling with finishing it. And somebody said, oh, why didn't you ask Paul? And I did and we met. And he was possibly one of the least professional men I've ever <laughs> met in my life. <laughs> and uh, it was impossible to to work with him and not become friends with him. He had so... Many close friends, which was just a, such a lovely thing, especially when we were now that we're all sort of collectively grieving. But it was, you, you couldn't know him and not completely adore him. He was so funny and so interested. You know, he'd be sat in the corner of the room at a comedy party with these big names and he'd be talking to somebody's cousin's wife's son and he'd be talking to him for hours. And I try and take that on a little bit now. I try and be a bit more like Paul.
0: Can I ask how old he was when when he died? He was 44. Gosh,
2: young. And they said, when they put in a news article about it, they said he was 45, and I think he would have been offended by that. (laughs) (laughs) Probably still is. Yeah. In the beyond younger. Um, But he was 44. I think he was almost 45, so he was young. He was too young. And he had um, liver failure. He had various different illnesses, but in the end it was liver failure. And then he got COVID and that just kind of all took him down. In an ideal world, he would have had a new liver. Mm. And had we not been in a health crisis, he might have been able to access the transplant.
0: Wow. Okay. Um, so while this was happening, what was your involvement with this?
2: I was just in touch with him a lot through the pandemic because he he'd kind of withdrawn a little bit from other friends. And I was sort of just messaging him every other day, checking in with him and seeing how he was, which was why I was hearing a lot about what was going I on. I see. So it almost sounds like you had a sense of
0: my friend is struggling and yeah. I need to try and get involved as much as I can, yeah, he, whatever that is. He
2: and I both had breakups during the pandemic as well. So I think maybe we were like sort of emotionally were supporting each other and I was just checking in with him. But I, yeah, I knew he wasn't well. I didn't really think he was going to die. I popped over to see him and it was quite brief because I think I was a bit late and then I was meeting my girlfriend because we were looking at flats. So I didn't stay very long and I think he was a bit disappointed. And then uh, he was like, lying on the sofa with a big blanket over him and I said uh, something like, I love you and I'll see you soon and he said, swan dive onto me. <laughs> and oh. I did. And I threw myself onto him a we big cuddle. And that was the last time that I saw him and I'd never really experienced anything like it. I remember just saying... To my girlfriend, almost childlike, like, I just don't want this to happen. Mm. I just don't want this to be happening.
0: I think this is probably a good moment to bring Louisa in. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Let's <laughs> get a psychotherapist in here. <laughs> she, she's got the tissues. But Louisa, can, can you just explain, first of all, I was sort of struck listening to Sarah as well. What I could see is confusion, mm. just confusion mm. about what happened.
2: And a bit of anger as well,
1: I would assume. Oh, shit yeah. of anger.
2: Yeah, yeah, a lot of anger. Yeah. It, uh, sometimes you think about it and you think if one small thing had been different, that we could have had a different outcome. And that's a very that's hard, difficult way to think yeah. about it. I want to ask
0: Louisa as well that uh, we're talking about three quite different kinds of loss here, if, if I just refer back to Tom mm. as well. So Sarah, you've lost through illness. Mm -hmm. Um, Tom has lost a friend through suicide and a godmother through illness. Do you think that the circumstances surrounding
1: Mm -hmm. death affects the way that people process that death? Oh, absolutely. As Tom was kind of talking, what I was thinking, I thought you must have so many questions because Mm. suicide has those questions that you will never get answered. And that's what makes it kind of difficult. I think where there is an illness, I I think your case is maybe a bit different because it was so quick. But when you know someone is quite ill and it becomes terminal, when you know you're going to lose them, there's time there to process it. Mm. Although once you lose them, the impact is the same. Mm. Just because you were aware, it doesn't mean you'll feel any less. That's interesting. But when it's suicide, it's taken from you and you could be left with a lot of guilt. Mm. You could be left with anger. As well, you could be quite angry. An interesting note is that with Tom,
0: he probably isn't eligible to take compassionate leave from work. And usually you, you only have paid leave if you lose a dependent.
2: It's so, true, yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: Right. You know, and yet our friends can sometimes be closer to us than family members, can't they? Mm-hmm. So again, I, I think it's often not recognised that when you say to people, My really good friend has just died. You know, I, I'm I'm in pieces. You can't yeah. even take time off from
1: work. Yeah. I think there it's about speaking to a, a line manager, whoever it is, and just to make it clear. that this is where I'm at. I'm struggling with this, and being very transparent because otherwise they will just expect you to get on with it. Yeah. You know. So, I, I think with Tom, you know, for yourself and to preserve yourself, to communicate with how you're feeling to people at work, there'll be somebody there who can kind of support you. Have you heard of the ball in a box analogy
0: when it comes to grief and grieving? No. So the idea is that grief is like a box with, with a big ball inside it and there's there's a pain button on one side of the mm. box and in the early stages of, of grief that ball is so big that it just keeps constantly hitting that pain button and it just hurts all the time so you can't move the box without that mm. that pain going off constantly so it rattles around in there on its own it's just hitting this button again and again but over time that ball gets a little bit smaller it's still there gets a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller, but then when the box gets rattled, it will occasionally hit that pain. Yeah, Yeah. Mm. will hit the pain, but it still hurts as much, Mm. but it's just less frequent. So I'm just thinking of of Tom here that he's saying that he's going through some sort of later stages of grief where he's getting surprised by that ball still hitting the pain
2: button, really. Have, Have you found that? To be true. Well, poor Tom's got two balls in his box as well.
0: Yes, of course. I didn't think think about
2: that. That's the difficult thing with with his situation, I suppose, is that it must be very difficult to separate those two losses, even though they are separate people and separate incidents. It's probably once you start thinking about one, suddenly you start thinking about the other and then it snowballs. So I don't know. I'm looking at you, Louisa. Like, Is is there any possible way of separating those griefs?
1: Also, it's historical grief because any current grief will definitely trigger anything from the past. Mm. So it's not it's not so clear cut. Gosh, know? that's interesting. So, you know, if you're talking about a loss today, but that they could have had a, a, another bigger loss six years before that and it will trigger all of those emotions all that trauma will be surfaced again for them so are you saying that as
0: we get older basically <laughs> our life is just going to be one long massive grief button it's
2: going to be extreme balls
0: in the not box. if you
1: deal with it with a fantastic therapist <laughs> but yeah it does it it triggers it and and it, and it we actually call it complicated grief that's when it becomes quite complex but you will remember yes i did feel like that but I, I know how I got through it. So I'll I can get do this again.
0: again. And this is a bit of an odd one, but, but Sarah, I'm going to ask you, can grief ever be funny?
2: Yes. I mean, the grieving process, I found incredibly funny. There's no dignity in grief, which mm-hmm. can be very, very amusing. I mean, um, I'm still trying to find, <laughs> there's a photograph that exists in the world somewhere of myself and Larry Dean, who's another comedian. And um, we had met, in, at Euston Station with two two other comedians, two of our friends, just because we didn't know what else to do and this was the week that Paul was dying. So we were sat in this pub, all of us, just crying and crying and crying. And uh, a woman came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, I'm a big fan of Live at the Apollo. Can I have a picture with you? And Larry sort of whirled around like he was going to shout at her, tears pouring down his face. And she went, oh, you too! <laughs> and Larry and I posed for this photo with us because we were just too polite and we posed this horrible just grimacing snot crying <laughs> picture and she obviously she was so sort of distracted by what she was doing she took the photo between us and I think she must have walked away looked at it and gone oh my gosh <laughs> What have I done here? (laughs) The tears Um, of a clown. Because it never appeared online.
0: Um, I would love to see that photo. Now, listen, how have you worked through that, Sarah? Are you you still feeling it?
2: No, I'm not feeling that anymore. And I think that was a time thing that, you know, it was just so all-encompassing at that point. And also, I think maybe talking about Paul made me feel close to Paul. And so being around people that didn't, know him or didn't want to talk about him or weren't able to talk about him made me feel further away from him than anything else. And I think finding ways of explaining it to the people who aren't grieving I think it's just just trying to put that into words, saying, you know, I'm so sorry that I'm talking about this so much, but it's it's what I need to do. Uh, I've got a bit in my show that I wish I could take credit for, but I can't. It's my friend Ruby who made this observation. And she said that when you're grieving and you're around people that aren't grieving, it's like you're on a night out and you've lost your phone and you're trying to explain that to all your Mm. friends, but they're on ecstasy. Mm. And they just can't be Mm. on that level level that you're at. Oh, yeah. And good, it's a good thing you can't access that grief feeling when you're not in it. That's a that's a positive thing. But it's so hard to explain to people that unhappiness you're feeling when they're on this completely different level.
0: And did you find that you lashed out at all and became quite unreasonable with people around you?
2: I think my girlfriend and I had a very difficult time. I think she did really well just to kind of be very patient during that time. Because mm. I, I really did my best, but I just didn't want anything to do with anything that wasn't mm. the the grief that I was feeling. Mm. And we tried to do sort of normal things. And uh, Paul died on the 11th of February and we tried to go out for Valentine's Day because I think she was like, let's just keep doing normal mm. stuff. And it looked like we were having the world's most horrendous breakup mm. on Valentine's Day because I just stopped, sobbed through this meal. And I think the waiter in that tapas restaurant was looking at us like, just end it. Like, just just. <laughs> this go is home. never going to last. I don't know why you're ordering more food. Like, yeah. it was just unbelievable.
0: It's very difficult as well, though, for the partner of mm. the person mm. that's lost somebody. Because I'm thinking in, in my relationship with, with Sue, when we were together, um, over our time together, she lost three people mm. in her life. And it was so hard for her, you know, so painful for her. And I tried my best,
2: mm.
0: you know, I tried my best. But but as you say, Sarah, if you are not in that overwhelming well of mm. grief, mm. it's very difficult for for the other person to join you there. Yeah. And you try as, as hard as you can, but it, it's a lonely thing, isn't it, grief? Now, listen, Sarah and Louisa, I want to leave Tom with some concrete advice because mm. this is his grief that we're talking about and how he's struggling to manage some of those emotions. So what can he do? Some practical advice in those moments of serious grief. Are there any practical techniques that we can suggest
2: maybe? I think my my biggest piece of advice would be to just not beat yourself up about not feeling better. Yeah. Mm. Two major people have been lost. And that sounds like it's awful and will take quite a long time to feel any kind of sense of peace about it. So I guess it's just about going, you know, I'm not not meant to be feeling okay about those things.
0: I would also recommend for Tom some hypnotherapy actually as well, because I think certainly when you're trying to get on with your normal life, that when you get hit by those sudden waves of emotion, that I think hypnotherapy could certainly help him to manage Mm. those feelings in certain situations and if nothing else just relax him Mm. and try and remove some of that anxiety
1: yeah that could help with the morning check-in as well you know I and I think generally we don't do this enough you know we just sit there for five minutes and just think right where am I at how am Mm -hmm. I feeling you know and kind of get in touch emotionally with yourself what is going on how am i feeling about the loss today how am i feeling about going to work so there's no there's no shocks there's no you know throughout the day nothing shocks you you know and if you know just by checking in all oh, feelings a bit vulnerable today. I can feel anxiety is a bit high. Yeah. And how am I oh, feeling God, God, today? How am I feeling today? Because then mm. we just get on with life. It just gets so busy and crazy. Mm. So that's a, a brilliant short term
0: technique that he can do every day, just check in with himself. What about longer term and managing his feelings at work where you suddenly get mm. hit by the, by that wave? Psychotherapy helps, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it's nice to just know that there's somebody specific that I can go and talk to about it and uh, we'll have a sort of designated cry at one Scheduled of the week. cry. Yeah. So,
0: Tom, if you are listening, I hope that that has been useful for you and I think the three of us here really feel for your grief and your bereavement. And, Sarah, I hope that has that been useful to you, having a, yeah. a therapist in room as well?
2: I love talking about grief, me. I'm mad for it. <laughs> Can't, Can't get it. enough of it. I do think it's it's one of the most helpful things and I find it very, very useful to just hearing them explain it and think, yeah, no, that is... Okay, thank God I'm not the only person yeah. who feels that way. This this grief yeah. is very, very painful, but it's not completely unusual.
0: No, it's, it's normal. Louisa, thank you so much for being here today. You're a reassuring presence, I think, for both me and Sarah. So yeah. thank Great you. Great to be here.
1: Thank you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for sharing.
0: Right, Sarah, before we end the show, I'm going to share a couple of short dilemmas with you. And this time I'm looking for quickfire advice. Okay. Are you ready for this?
2: I I might not have good advice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The first one is from Katie. Okay. Hi, Katie. Hey, Anna. It can't just be me who's struggling with a friendship breakup and the weird feeling that comes with the lack of closure when you grow apart from a friend and just the weird vibes of not really having any end to it like you would in a romantic relationship. Ugh. I mean, this feels like it's a whole show, doesn't it? I think we should cover this in a future ep. What, you, what you absolutely
2: reckon? should. I've been talking about this a lot. My friend, one of my really good friends, is writing a show about friendships and in particular friendship breakups and she's done a ton of research about it. But I think the biggest thing that it comes down to is that we don't treat, a similar thing with this grief situation, we don't give platonic love the same kind of, reverence as we do romantic love and some people live their entire lives only having platonic love and that's how they receive love so I don't know why we don't give it the same kind of attention and care and uh, we were talking about this the other night saying that if somebody came to you and said oh I've broken up with my boyfriend you'd immediately know what to do you'd be like right I'm getting a bottle of wine you're coming over and we're going to talk we're going to get you through this Where if somebody said I've broken up with my best friend you don't necessarily respond in that same way and it's just as painful it's so, in fact some ways it could be equally as painful because you don't make friends thinking you're going to break up with them whereas you get into a romantic relationship and think this might not be forever something could happen you know exactly yeah.
0: we, we, we think we think of our friends don't we for for mm. life potentially and so yeah. when it doesn't when it doesn't work out it's such a shock and it's a rejection um, yeah. isn't it of of fundamentally of you that she used to like me mm
2: she doesn't anymore. And I think the advice here is, is grieve it like a, like a relationship. And remember that just like in romantic relationships, people change and they grow apart and everybody goes through that. That is not a unique experience. Everybody experiences it. It's just some we don't talk about it as much.
0: Thank you for that, Sarah. I think you're right. That sort of universality of we all lose mm-hmm. friends. Okay, here's the next one. This is from Lee. Hi,
2: Anna. It can't just be me who hates their job. I like the people I work with, but the work itself I find really boring and unfulfilling. And I just don't really know what to do. If you've got any advice, I'd love to hear it. I mean, I think this must be incredibly common. And I'm very sorry to hear it's Lee. It's tricky, isn't it? Because you don't know the circumstances of, of why they're doing that job and mm. whether or not it's a sort of a means to an end or whether it's like a step on a ladder. But um, I've been talking to my friends a lot about this because everybody, I think, especially the generation that I'm in, everybody is very frustrated because we are living in a time when we have fewer options. And and sometimes if you're just in a job and it pays well and you're not completely miserable, you won't make a shift because you're like, well, where do I go? And we're in a cost of living crisis mm-hmm. and it's very hard to go. Do you know what? I'm just going to take a risk and try something else.
0: So I hear
2: you, right? It's a cost of
0: living crisis. Mm. So maybe Lee needs to stay in their job for now just until they're financially stable mm. as, as best as possible. But do you know what? Hating your job, my advice, Lee, is hating your job. That is a slow death. If you hate your job, get out and either retrain or go to another company, or at the very least, what you can do is go to your manager and say, I'm finding this really difficult and frustrating. I want to either step up or have more responsibility or diversify in some way. Because if that doesn't happen, it really is just death by degrees. There is always an exit and always a choice. Run, Lee. (laughs) Run. Sarah, thank you so much for oh, thank joining you for us me. today. Thank, thank had you. a great time. And thank you for being so open about losing Paul and your grief. It's been a privilege to no hear problem. about him and how much you miss him and celebrate him, actually. And huge thanks again to Louisa Davis from the London Practice. Thank you. We'll be back next time with another episode. But in the meantime, if you want to be part of the podcast, then please go to itcantjustbeme.co.uk and leave me a voice note with your dilemma. Or you can email itcantjustbeme at podimo.com. Whether it's about love, sex, ageing, family, grief, motherhood, kinks, it doesn't matter. Nothing's off limits. And remember, whatever you're dealing with, it really isn't just you. From Podimo and Mags, this has been It Can't Just Be Me, hosted by me, Anna Richardson. The producer is Alice Homewood, with support from Laura Williams. The executive producer for Mags Creative is James Norman Fife. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. Don't forget to follow the show or to listen ad-free. Subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts.